0: Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. For those of you who are not new, you know we're in week three of a six week series called The Divine Romance. And the idea, again, behind this title is that biblical teaching on marriage is that a man who loves god and loves his wife a woman who loves god and loves her husband that their relationships primary purpose biblically it is not happiness it is not procreation it is not even the cultural mandate it is foremost before it is anything it is reflecting christ's love for his church and it is showing that to a world that may not yet know who christ is or what his who his church is or how that works it is primarily an image And so this romance that marriage is is first and foremost divine. It is a vertical relationship with our creator, making a big deal of who he is and his extravagant love towards sinners. Amen. Anybody a part of the church? That's not a sinner. Trivia question. No, that's the whole point. That's why Christ died. Was to wash away the sins of sinners like you and me call us to repentance and when we respond to his love the holy spirit enters us transforms our heart gives us a heart that loves and trusts our savior amen and then we are called then the bride of christ we are Everyone who has been purchased by Jesus is forever linked to Jesus. He's the head and we are the body. And to, again, to have a leader who is morally perfect and who loves you, saves you, and serves you, that's a great leader, amen? Okay. Uh, So we we kicked the guys in the face for a couple of weeks to tell them how to love their wives as best we could. I promise you that was harder on me than it was on you because I was bathing in it all week feeling like a terrible husband and repenting deeply so i hope that you christian husbands also been blessed so today's sermon is about sex the title of our sermon no it's not that sex did you guys do something with the slides wait no that's not the title of the sermon no that's not the title of the sermon wait no that's not guys what'd you do that's not the no no okay there we go jeez louise okay God gross or gift. We only have a few options when we ask ourselves, what is sex? There are essentially three cultural answers. Two of them. I'm going to go through very briefly because they're wrong. That makes sense. How many guys know that in a construction project before you build something, sometimes you have to blast. Construction projects can start with dynamite, okay? Or whatever fancy stuff they're using these days. Sorry, my Yosemite Sam came out. So dynamite, blow up what currently is so that we have something loose dirt to work with. Our culture, and when I say our, I just mean Western culture. Everything that pours out of Hollywood through film, what pours out of Nashville through music, what pours out of New York through television, uh, heck, what pours out of Washington the last 24 years. I mean, I don't know about your generation, my generation learned about oral sex from our president. If you were 12 years old when that happened, you know what I mean? So these cultural centers, more often than not, are in this first camp. Sex is God, it is ultimate, this is what it sounds like. If sex is a false deity in your life, you have it up above any other priority, and this is where Western, the Western world is, sex is ultimate, it will complete me, it will, gra- I couldn't even imagine a celibate life when we read the text last week where Paul spoke rather frankly about how singleness was be preferred in the time of uh, Christians getting killed for being Christians he just said look it, it's it's pragmatic for you to be single right now but if you cannot control your lustful passions it's better to marry than to burn with lust that's totally foreign concept to me wait you're telling me the decision to marry or not to marry is a tool to keep a Christian away from sin. If you can choose the celibate life to serve God fully, great. If you can't, then marry. Whatever you do, do not sin sexually. You're not having sex with somebody you're not married to. Like, that's so implicit in the text. That is mind-boggling for us. The celibate life? What on earth? I thought this is, like, you know, sex and, like, chocolate. Like, isn't there just a very short list of ultimate things in life? But... The scriptures doesn't talk about sex that way. doesn't talk about even marriage that way. These interesting pushback on this idea, I would like to submit, if you're new to church. Jesus was the most complete and whole human being who ever lived. Did you know he never married? Did you know Dan Brown, Dan Brown lied to you to sell some books? Jesus Christ did not need to marry a woman and have sex with her because the whole point of marriage is to point to his love for the church. He doesn't need to marry. He's going to marry at the end. So I don't know what your eschatology is, but let's stick to the basic things we can agree with. He's coming back one day. He's going to have a tattoo of a name his daddy gave him. Everyone is going to crap their pants when he shows up out of reverent fear for the God they've been waiting for or abject terror of the God they've been opposing. And he cleansed the world once by water, he will do it again by fire. It's not going to be fun. And then what happens? The wedding feast of the Lamb. Where undeserving men and women are served extravagantly by their gracious Savior, the ultimate bridegroom. That is the wedding that Jesus was looking forward to, the wedding that was only made possible by his death on the cross. Washing her in the water of the word, back to Ephesians 5, if you were with us two weeks ago. Jesus, his first coming, was celibate, and he was more human than you or I ever were, or will be, until he makes us new. So Jesus disagrees with you. The guy who raised himself from death, he disagrees with you if you believe that sex is ultimate. I, get, I could spend a lot of time if I wanted to go throughout the scriptures. We don't have the time because I really want to get to the third part, what is true, what is good. A second false belief about sex is that it's gross. Sex is a god or sex is gross. This sounds like, oh, it's, it's dirty, it's wrong. This comes from a few different places. There are at least two that I'm thinking of. Anybody ever heard the phrase, I hope all of us, maybe, they threw the baby out with the bathwater? That is talking about pendulum swinging against something bad. Something bad happens, and so we go to an extreme. Instead of a slight adjustment that would have fixed the problem, we go all the way over here. If you grew up in a church, and if you grew up in a church, anything like mine, you know all about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Well, Hugh Hefner invented a magazine and they're singing about this on the radio, and then they make then they make the porn industry out of Burbank and, and all these nasty VHSs throughout the eighties and into the nineties. And it, so what do we do as a reaction that somebody took sex, which was a beautiful gift of God, and they dragged it through the mud, right? Everyone's cheating on their spouse. They're betraying and leaving and this and that and the other. Well, clearly, sex is just dirty, so we'll avoid talking about it altogether. It's over there, it's nasty. This is usually, um, it, well, again, two ways that this can come about one is the religious way. If you believe the Bible is true, you love your savior, and you care about holiness, you watch the world doing dirty things, and one way to respond to that dirtiness is like, well, let's just pretend it doesn't exist. That's one way. That's what I was raised to. I was just, great. looking back, I'm grateful. My parents had a little James Dobson book. They told me about sex. Very few kids anymore are privileged that they hear about sex from their parents. That privilege is going away fast. And to you millennial parents, let me just encourage you, keep the devices away from your kids. They don't need it. That device will tell your child more than you ever wanted them to know. Not on purpose. They just tap on something by accident. I grew up in a context where we said almost nothing about sex, and I'm talking more from the church perspective. And then all of a sudden, when you're about 15, 16 years old, they start talking about sex in youth group. And it sounds like this, <gasps> don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. We're going to close in prayer now, so go ahead and bow your eyes. What? That was the Bible study? That was the lesson? Let me tell you what's painful about that. If you only tell me, don't do this now, which by the way, when you're 16 and you're single, that's the appropriate relationship to sex. Celibacy is something that is commanded outside of the marital context. So that was actually the right teaching. But when I was 23 years old, I was getting married and even the religious type said I was allowed to have sex now and I had not received any instruction. What if we stopped and went on the affirmative, went on the offensive and said, this is what sex is. Here's your good and loving and gracious God. Here's its original design a second place that sex is dirty comes from is people's sins against you. And I wish, maybe we we'll, we need to do it one day, but I, I wish I had a whole sermon for this spot. No one is judging you for reacting against abuse. If someone abused you, sex is going to be very difficult for you. You might meet an amazing guy who loves you, who respects you, who cherishes you, and the marriage bed has already been defiled because of somebody else. And I want this church to be a place that is encouraging to your husband in the ways that he needs to be gracious and patient as he loves and serves you. But here's why I want to talk about these two lies. Lies come from Satan. Satan. Sex being ultimate is something Satan gave us. And sex being dirty is something that Satan gave us. He doesn't care which one you buy into. Because if it is a beautiful gift from God that you receive inside the context of marriage, you're going to give God glory and Satan isn't having any of that. Everything Satan does, he's a one-trick pony. It is only ever about one thing. It is defacing, defaming the glory of God. Period. The only reason Satan wants you to go to hell is because God gets his glory by taking dirty sinners and washing them clean and sending them to heaven. If it wasn't about God, you and I wouldn't be involved at all. We're not as big as we think we are. Yet God created sex. Genesis one twenty eight. Oops. He made it who knows the very first thing that God said to humanity. Be fruitful and multiply. Can I get a hallelujah? That's a good God. He makes them. There's no, it's, there's a man, there's a woman, they're naked. There's nobody else around. First words of their creator, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks, Lord. <laughs> you know, right? If you love Jesus. I already said this. I preached ahead in my points. This view that sex is gross, it's reacting against culture instead of starting fresh with the scriptures and building up. Does that make sense? Our theology, if it is reactionary, we're going to make mistakes. I see a problem, so I'm going to react against it instead of just starting with the word and saying, what does God say? And then I already said this for some, it comes from somebody's sin and or shame. So let's talk about sex as a gift. Since his first command to humanity is to have sex, let's not act like God is a cosmic killjoy. There's a temptation in religious circles to think that God is grumpy. God is angry. He's throwing lightning bolts. All he's about is no, 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 no. So let's be clear about what did not happen in Genesis one. If you've ever read it, Genesis one and two, here's what did not happen. God creates the man and the woman after creating animals and stars, trees, oceans, mountains, and the man and the woman are in the garden. And he says, take care of the garden. And then he walks away to go have brunch with the sun and the spirit. And then he comes back. Whoa, what are you two doing? Stop. Stop. uh." We human beings act like we invented sex. We act like we thought of it. Because we trust ourselves to find greatest joy more than we trust God. And that is the root of most, if not all sin, God, you are not trustworthy. I am better at having fun than you are. I love myself more than you love me. Adam and Eve did not invent sex and God grumpy. I never intended this. How did that happen? Like just didn't happen that way. Just did not happen that way verse we just referenced. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. I wish we could, there are entire books written about this verse. It's called The Cultural Mandate Amongst Theologians. Really interesting. So be fruitful. If Moses needs to spell it out for you what fruitful means, I can't help you. <laughs> like Where does it go? And multiply. So where, where does fruitfulness multiply? So is he talking, he's talking to humanity now. Fill the earth. Humanity can fill the earth. Adam and Eve can't and govern it. So humanity is this delegated authority from God. You are my representatives, you are my image bearers throughout the earth. You have to have, amongst other things, you have to have sex to procreate, to make more of you, to fill what? To fill the earth with God's sovereignty. So sex still isn't about you. It's still not about me. We're talking this morning, this isn't in the sermon, this, this is for free. God looked at a sinless man and said, it is not good. The sinless man was the first thing that God looked at in the creation and said, it is not good for man to be alone. There are at least two reasons why that's true. One, God is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit. Perfect love, perfect respect, perfect adoration for all eternity. And inside this community, if he's going to make a creation that reflects him, he's going to build a community. So when the fullness of humanity was built, the male and the female, they are now a community... So that's one part of how we reflect God's glory. Men and women are both reflecting parts of God's glory. But also, God is a creative God. There's nothing more loving that a loving God can do than to create beings to enjoy him. The creative process is the natural expression of his love. He is a creative, creating God. And to allow two parts of humanity to engage in a physical act, a spiritual act, an emotional act, a relational act, that what happens in a perfect world, apart from the brokenness of Genesis 3, what does sex do? It creates life. Sex is how human beings create more life, and when we create life, that is a piece of what God designed for us to image him. We look like him now. We're creating life. What? So we're in community with each other, and we create life. Now we're starting to look more and more like the God who made us. So sex still isn't about us. Now, I don't have time for Song of Solomon today. God absolutely intends joy inside the marriage bed. But there are just, these are deep waters, folks. These are deep waters. There's so much more going on here than just having fun, although that's great. Now we're getting down to it. And we're going to read our verse right after you fill in this blank. Let's talk to the church. You love Jesus. You're submitting to his authority. All of a sudden you have this entire book telling you what to do. You don't obey it so that God will love you. He's already loved you. And so now you're interested in obeying it. You're going to study. You're going to learn. The Christian's body is owned by God. So God has the right to command the sexual ethics of his church. Do you guys know that? that's not popular at all. More denominations have split in the last 30 years where we start getting all fuzzy and funny over does the Bible actually say what the Bible actually says? We don't like what it says. And so entire groups of Christians split into two groups because one group says, the Bible informs our sexual ethics as we submit to God, submit to his Holy Spirit, submit to his word, and the other group says, our sexual ethics, our opinions, we're really, really smart. We're going to reinterpret scripture until it fits what's convenient for us. And they have no choice but to go two separate ways. If you love Jesus, do you know that your physical body, not just your physical body, but at least that much, it's purchased by Christ when he died on the cross. Did you know that? See, I grew up evangelical, and we were really good with one thing about the purchase. We were good with one thing, and it's probably the most important. He purchased me spiritually. He washed away my sins. Sins are spiritual. Washes away my sin, gives me the Holy Spirit, a foretaste of what's coming. But there's more. Turn with me to page 952 if you've got the hardback. Those of you that are already uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 6... Let's read together. We're going to do verses 15 through 20. This is an early church father named Paul talking to Christians in Corinth. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? That makes sexual sin really terrifying, doesn't it? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? We don't believe that at all. Not in the age of tender. We become one with this person. God, in his love for us and in his sovereignty, not just created sex, didn't just make it so that it's enjoyable, didn't just make it so that it creates um, human life. He creates more unity of the two people participating in it. And our culture refuses. We refuse to believe this. We don't think sex is dode, the Hebrew word, a mingling of souls. We just think it's a mingling of bodies. We think it's just two bodies hanging out, having fun. When the scriptures have been screaming at us for, for millennia, no. No, it's more than this. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her. Wow. Why? Why? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. If you have a more word for word translation, the two shall become one flesh. When we have sex with somebody who is not our spouse, we are showing the most flippant disregard for God's design of sex. We're just saying, God, I'm smarter than you, I'm smarter. I know you make and can unmake the galaxies, (laughs) but I'm smarter than you somehow. Don't ask me to explain it. I just am. (sighs) But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Wow. Oneness with sin is unthinkable because you already have oneness with Christ. We can't do it both ways. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Whoa. Is this one of those Bible verses that just sits on a 15-year-old single person and then it just disappears when they get married? Is there anything about that that seems bound by time? He said, if you are a Christian, he owns you. So he gives commands to a single person, celibacy, celibacy of the eyes, celibacy of the mind, celibacy of the physical body parts. And he gives the exact opposite command to you the moment you marry, he says, be fruitful and multiply. That's what he told you with his authority. We read last week a text that expressly said that if you don't have sex with your spouse for too long, you're sinning. I could see it in your eyes, fellas. You wanted to amen, but your wife's right next to you, and you're like, "I don't want to, I, don't, I don't need that elbow in my missing rib." You know, <laughs> you wanted to amen. If it was a men's conference, I would have had a rowdy, hearty amen right there. It is a sin to not have sex for too long inside the covenant of marriage because Paul says it creates room. For more sin. Satan can and will tempt you towards sin if you go too long without coming together. Wow. Hmm. The gift of sex has a God-given context. A God-given context... Paul says this, First Corinthians seven, because there's so much sex moral, sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. So he sees marriage as the perfect and only answer to sexual desire. Again, if you're new to church, I understand this is insane. You're thinking, how easy I can I can download porn and masturbate to it right now, just because I want to. What do you mean marriage is the only answer for my sexual desires? I can hop on Tinder and swipe right and within an hour meet a total stranger, have sex with them, and leave, no guilt, because we both knew in advance that that's what we had signed up for. What do you mean marriage is the only answer? I'm glad you asked. There's this God who created us. And he loves you more than you love you. His authority comes from the fact that he created us. And if you call yourself a Christian, his authority is double because his Savior, our Savior, his son, bled and died on a cross to purchase us back from the rebellion that we joined. If you're a Christian, you are doubly owned. He made you and he saved you. If you're not sure yet what you think of Jesus, at the very least, God made you. And he is teaching us, I love you. I designed your body, I gave you sexual desire, and I know how you're going to find greatest joy. Trust me. Every command of God is just God saying, trust me. Trust me. I, I promise not to get into the biological details, but the man and the woman both have at least one set of glands that modern science has shown over and over again, has proven exists for nothing else than sexual pleasure. You could not make a biological argument that sex is only for procreation. Our God loves us and wanted us to find joy in this. It creates unity and oneness. I wish I could park, I wish I could park on how much oneness is created through sex. There's something spiritual going on. Hard to explain. It protects your marriage from all kinds of junk. Conflict is different. I mean, anybody know Les and Leslie Perot? I don't know if it's Parrot or Perot. They're anyway. They are um, a husband and wife team. They're both uh, clinical psychologists and Christian authors about marriage and sex or whatever. And they semi facetiously talk about if you're if you're kind of escalating, you're getting to the point where you're going to have a fight. and and there are no kids around, you just need to strip down naked immediately because of how hard it is to fight when you're both naked. And so they say that, and then everybody chuckles, but then they go into all of this science and even theology about sexual intimacy inside the safety of this covenant. It makes everything else kind of small and laughable. Let's talk more about covenant. I... I grew frustrated when I was a youth pastor for four and a half years. Teenagers always come into me with the wrong question. Hey, Greg, how far can I go with a girl? Wrong question. I'm going to try to teach you the right question. Greg, how do I pursue holiness? That's the question, amen? If you love Jesus, that's the question. Listen to Solomon, and if this guy knows something, he slept with no fewer than 1,200 different women. You ever seen a guest on a talk show like author of this, famous blogger, slept with 1,200 women? And this is what he has to say to his son. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. That sounds to me like sex is a really big deal. More than once Solomon says that the feet of the immoral woman lead down to the grave. You and I are playing games with sexual sin, taking something out of its context of a man and a woman in a covenant with each other for their entire lifetime until death do us part. We are playing with fire. So I'm going to ask you a trick question. Does fire give life or death? Right? I told you in advance it was a trick question. If you get lost up in the woods because you had the genius idea of going hiking in February... Above 7,000 feet. Getting a fire started might be your only chance at survival. But if you have a campfire in late August that leaves the boundaries that you set for it, now what? Taking fire and saying that fire is inherently good or inherently bad is oversimplifying what fire is. And to say that sex is always good is ignoring rape, it's ignoring molestation, it's ignoring all the ways we sin against God by treating it cheaply. To say that sex is always bad is ignoring what he has created and given to husbands and wives with each other. So I want to beg you, please, A.R.C.F., do not ever think as sex is always good all the time, the way that the world tends to talk about it, or as always bad, the way some religious folks tend to talk about it. It's neither. You want something really clear for the horny teenagers? Let marriage be held in honor by all among all, let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Ever read that one to your grandkids before bed? Good night, boo. Yeah. Huh. It sounds serious. Enough of what sex is not. Gift by God, so that's what it is. It's got a context, so that's what it is. Here's its essence Sex is a selfless act of serving your spouse's needs. This is what God designed it to be. It is a selfless act of serving your spouse's needs. Back to 1 Corinthians 7. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And again, I, w- I want to admit, depending on your experiences, that verse might absolutely terrify you. If you are a spouse of somebody who is terrified, you need to be gracious and you need to be patient because fear comes from somewhere, doesn't it? It doesn't come from nowhere. Do you see Paul's perspective? Christian married men, husbands, this is your chance to serve your wife. Wives, this is a chance to serve your husband. This might be the crux of it right here when trying to figure out what the culture thinks. The culture's view of sex is inherently selfish, it's about me getting mine. And God says the opposite. How many things could we apply this principle to? We could apply this to money. God says money is a tool to serve and bless other people, but if you take it inward and say this money is only to make me happy and to serve me, then you have what God calls sins, greed. you know. So anything, if it is self-focused, it's going to be sinful immediately because our God is not a self-focused God. Self-focused God doesn't go to the cross. Are you kidding me? That's an outwardly focused God. Because sex is not merely physical, don't assume your spouse's needs are merely physical. Because sex is not merely physical, don't assume your spouse's needs are merely physical. A human being is not just a body. That's what philosophers call materialism. It's not real unless I can touch it. And if you are a materialist, sex is only going to be about what physical needs you have. A desire for sex is similar to your your stomach's need for food. But the scriptures say that this is a mingling of souls, that something profoundly spiritual and emotional and relational is happening inside covenant. Because a human being is a spirit and a mind and, and passions and dreams and hopes and This relationship is their friendship. That's a whole sermon. Are you having sex with your best friend? Because your spouse is not just a body, please don't assume that his needs or her needs are just physical. Sex does so much to make husband and wife feel more connected with each other. Um, One... Scientists, I, I it should, really should have my act together and and have the the study. Um, there was somebody that studied marital fights, conflicts, and they did not tell. They asked for all kinds of information, but they didn't tell the married couple, or who knows, maybe not married couples. They didn't tell the different couples what they were exactly studying. They just wanted lots of information, and they look at the data. and Basically, the long and short of it is, they figured out that men and women both experience a lover's high. For two to three days after you have sex with your spouse, you are more gracious toward them and you will let small things roll like water off a duck's bat. You're not as irritable and you're more inclined to assume the best of the person that you slept with. You see how a 17-year-old boy could abuse that? you are more inclined to be gracious, forgiving, and understanding towards somebody that you had sex with in the last two to three days. That's God's design. It's God's design. Okay, the eyes are part of sex, so give them as a gift to your spouse. Um, again, guys, with our with our devices, we've got the whole world at our fingertips through the internet. Um, if you... Do not have software on your phone protecting you from looking at satanic baloney. Please get that software on your phone right away. Do something. You guys have the next slide, or do I have it? Take us to Matthew 5, 28. Jesus says this, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is saying your eyes are a part of the sexual act. Your eyes, your mind, your heart, your soul, your body. All of these things are part of the sexual act. And then two real quick things will be done. Communicate with your spouse. That's not a blank. I put the whole thing there in your notes. Uh, This is not the broad communication talk that you get in a marriage conference. I'm talking about in the context of sex. Um, Fellas, if you're going to serve your wife in the marriage bed, you have to hear back from her. You're going to have to humble yourself in order to seek that feedback, right? Us guys, um, we tend to, especially if we're young and we're virgins when we get married, we you know, reach our wedding day at 22 years old or whatever, and our wedding night, and yay, and then we just like machismo bounding our chest going, well, I'm awesome. That was the best four minutes of her life, you know, and we're just, yeah, awesome. We need to be taught to listen to our spouse. If my body belongs to my wife, then I want to hear from her. What do you like? What do you not like? What made you feel safe? What did not make you feel safe? Does that make sense? If if it's if I'm serving her, I need to hear from her. And then last thing, go ahead and send us the next picture. What's this? Hmm. What is it? thermostat. How many of you guys know, guys love thermostats. You just press the button, you're giving orders, right? You're telling it what you want, and then it responds. It gives you what you want. So we all love thermostats, right? Fellas, sex is not like this. That's not what sex is. You do not get to Say, honey, we need to have lots of sex. Our sex life is going to determine the health of our relationship. Actually, sex is more like this. Next picture. What's this? This is an outdoor thermometer, like you might have on your back porch when grandma's making tea. What does a the thermometer tell you? No control at all. It's telling you what is. Brothers, this is sex. Your sex life is telling you how safe your wife feels inside the relationship. It is telling you how loved she feels. It is telling you the degree to which she feels friendship with you. It is telling you the degree to which she sees you as a safe, loving protector and leader of your home. I defy you for an entire week. I defy you to stop every night and ask her how you can pray for her. To do two extra chores per day. To love and serve the kids well. And see if something doesn't maybe happen someday. At some point. You can only love and serve and care for your wife so long. Before what? You you created conditions for relational and physical and emotional safety in which that could happen. So brothers, sex is not something that you use to make the relationship strong, although it does have benefits. It is telling you about the relationship. Okay? I don't have a Bible verse for that. They just said it over and over again at the Family Life Conferences, and it changed my life, so I wanted to pass it along to you. Okay? All right. Um, I've gone way too long. Single people, go find a cold shower. Um, I'm going to pray... I'm going to pray for us because, I mean, how many of you guys just heard in these verses, like 2,000 years ago, we were dealing with this, right? We're dealing with nothing new in 2019, right? Nothing truly new. So those of us who call ourselves Christians, we've got lots to pray through. If you're not a Christian, I hope that you're seeing God's love for you and his design over you. I hope you see his love. Jesus, we are a people of unclean lips, as Isaiah said to you so long ago. And you, But you've saved us out of the darkness, those of us who are Christians, you've saved us out of this culture that has made sex out to be something other than what you intended. And Jesus, we're sorry. Jesus we ask for your forgiveness we ask you to please make yourselves Lord over us that if we're a single person who loves you that you would give us the encouragement the rebuke to remain celibate until the appropriate time as Solomon and his wife said oh women of Jerusalem do not awaken love before the appropriate time Jesus, for those of us who love you and are married, would you please, please grow us, change us, disciple us in our view of sex, in whether or not we're giving you praise and glory for what you've designed. And God, would you make us selfless? God, would you please make us selfless? beautiful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, Amen.